Welcome. You're listening to a sermon podcast from Oak Hills Church in Folsom, California. Well, if I could ask you to stand for our scripture reading, I'm going to be reading from John chapter 1, and I'm going to be reading verses 9 through 14. It's actually going to be printed on the screen, so you can follow along. John 1, beginning in verse 9. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. This past October, my son Sam and his wife, Lauren, came over to our house one Sunday evening to hang out, to have dinner and to watch our beloved Green Bay Packers lose another game. We were sitting together in our backyard, and Sam brought a gift bag over to Julie and said, we have a little gift for you. That wasn't Julie's birthday. It wasn't our anniversary. So it kind of caught her a bit off guard, but she took the little bag, and she kind of peeled the paperback, and she looked inside, and suddenly her face became fluttered, and she yelled, what? And then she reached in, and she pulled out what looked to me like a coronavirus test. And I thought it was super weird that Julie was that excited over a positive COVID test for Lauren or Sam. But with a little help from Julie and a few of the others there, I was informed it was a positive pregnancy test for Lauren. Thank you. So we have a little gift for you meant the gift of a grandchild who is expected in June. This is our first grandchild. And the moment I heard this good news, and every moment since, I felt like I'm being rearranged. I've noticed my eyes and my ears are turned and tuned toward babies at the park, or here at church, or at the grocery store. I read the news about what is happening in the world now, with a different perspective. When our children moved out of our house, Julie and I took over their rooms. Now I find myself thinking about where the baby's crib and bed and desk that they're going to study at will eventually go a little ahead of the game, but that's okay. The news of a coming grandchild has already rearranged me. It's in the process of rearranging me, and I can't imagine the ongoing rearranging that will occur in mid-June when the baby finally arrives. Since Sam and Lauren told us this good news, we have been in a season of Advent, a season of waiting. But it's not a waiting of endurance like it is at the DMV. You know, God, I'll do anything if you make this go faster and get me out of here. Rather, it's a waiting of expectation. It's a waiting with a wow attached to it expecting, anticipating, fully aware that this new baby permanently 
changes everything. And if the news of a coming grandchild did not shake us, awaken us a little bit, stir in us, start to rearrange us, move us, then most, I think, would probably agree something is off with that. Something is missing. Well, tonight, we are here to celebrate the end of the Christian season of Advent and welcome the arrival of Jesus Christ, our Savior and our King. And you may have noticed the verses I read a moment ago from the beginning of John's Gospel do not have the typical warm Christmas story vibe on them. No mention of Mary and Joseph or the packed hotel or the shepherds out in the fields. John's Gospel is unique compared to the others. John is philosophical. He's a bit of a thinker. He says as much between the lines as he does on the lines. And he comes from a different angle because he writes his gospel with a distinct purpose. And believe it or not, his purpose remains remarkably relevant for you and for me here in 2022. And he states his purpose with crystal clarity in John chapter 20 verses 30 and 31. You can see these verses on the screen. He writes, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So John's clear purpose is to put Jesus center stage in front of the whole crowd of human history, past, present, and future, to let the whole of human history know that Jesus is the one we have been waiting for our whole lives. He is the one we have been looking for our whole lives. He's finally arrived, God in the flesh, to show us what this life was intended to be. And just as the good news of our grandchild's coming starts to awaken and rearrange us, so the coming of God in the flesh wants to awaken and rearrange us. And if the news of Jesus' arrival does not at least begin to shake us a bit, awaken us, stir us, rearrange us, move or intrigue us, however slightly, then I would suggest something is off and something is missing. In the verses I read, John introduces three important themes he will revisit throughout his gospel, and they're all Christmas themes. They're words and ideas we hear every Christmas. And these three themes put Jesus center stage and clarify who he is and what he came to do. The first theme is light. John chapter 1 and verse 9, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. It is rather bold and perhaps even arrogant to assert that anyone or anything is the ultimate, the real deal, or the greatest. You've heard these ridiculous debates in the sports world. The greatest quarterback ever was Joe Montana. Oh, stop being old. You're stuck in the past. The greatest quarterback ever is Tom Brady. Oh, come on. Get real. You're old. When it's all said and done and history is written, the greatest quarterback ever will be Patrick Mahomes. Now, obviously, 
the greatest quarterback ever is Aaron Rodgers. But that's not really my point. The point is, it's audacious to assert that anyone or anything is the ultimate. But that's precisely what John is saying when he declares that Jesus is the true light. He's the ultimate light in a dark world. He's the greatest light in the history of lights. He's the answer to the darkness in the world. And John says he gives light to everyone. He makes reality known to all who want to know reality. He makes the way he, he makes real life available to all who want to have real life. He shows the way to experience real life to everyone and anyone who wants to experience real life. This is the one we have been waiting for. This God in the flesh who transforms every speck of darkness into light. Now, I don't know how you feel about such a bold assertion. But my response is this. Really? We sure about this? Doesn't it seem just a tad bit over the top? The lyrics are whittled into all of our minds. Silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright. Round yon virgin, mother and child, holy infant so tender and mild. Sleep in heavenly peace, sleep in in heavenly peace. Touching scene. Warm fire, proud parents, baby cooing, few animals chilling out nearby, clear skies, shining stars, silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright. A rather idyllic picture. But in 2022, the idyllic picture of silent night seems like a long reach from the real world of a pandemic, a war, rampant political division, unimaginable and unspeakable violence, and a gnawing uncertainty about the future. When I pay attention for even a few minutes to what is rustling in the shadows of our world, all doesn't seem bright to me. Most seems rather dim. But here John puts Jesus center stage for all of human history to see, and he says the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. This true light that can transform any darkness. Perhaps you can relate to this. Every now and then in the midst of the chaos of life and work and relationships and finances and blah, 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 I find myself drawn aside but what I'm going to call by what I'm going to call a faint flicker of light. It often is in the form of a small child. It can be sometimes a moving song that I will hear or an elderly person I will see or a loyal dog who won't leave my side or I'll read a story of supreme kindness and in it I'll see this faint flicker of light. Or I'll see a homeless family pushing all their worldly belongings down a sidewalk. And these flickers of light hold my attention, I think, because they tug on a longing deep within me for something more. A longing for beauty. A longing for goodness to prevail. 
a longing for hope. You ever have these experiences? Some kind of deep-rooted ache or longing is stirred by a flicker of light you see in the midst of your everyday life. Does it ever feel to you like this ache or this longing or this yearning is a voice from another world calling your name? Well, at the risk of making too bold an assertion, I would suggest it is a voice from another world. The voice of God, the light of Jesus flickering nearby that we might turn and have a look and begin the journey toward believing Jesus is the one we have been looking and waiting for. Second theme we see in these few verses is glory. Verse 10 of John 1, and again, this is on the screen. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. And then verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. Now, glory is not exactly an everyday word. Maybe after a bite of perfectly good steak, someone will say, oh, that is just glorious. But we exaggerate. Because the notion of glory stretches beyond us and beyond our experiences, way beyond us and way beyond our experiences. In Hebrew, the word glory means weight, as in substance or significance. So when John says, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, he's saying that when Jesus walked this earth, his friends could see and feel his unique substance. He was unlike anything they had ever seen or heard or experienced. Now, they didn't get all this right away. It didn't snap a finger and all of a sudden everything became clear. They floundered about just as we do. But Jesus' teachings, his words, his actions, his reactions were drenched with qualities from another world. Qualities like grace and truth. In short, his life displayed ultimate goodness. So his friends declared, we have seen his glory. But... Their opinion was the minority view. Most who encountered Jesus walked away unimpressed and unfazed. John says, most did not recognize him. Most just kind of shrugged their shoulders and moved on with their lives. And it's been this way throughout the centuries. Call it disbelief. Call it impossible. Call it irrational. Whatever the reason... A shoulder shrug has always been the majority's response to Jesus Christ. So it begs the question, why are a few eyes and ears and hearts awakened by Jesus and their lives rearranged by him, but most just kind of shrug their shoulders or maybe tip their hat and simply move on? Well, I'm sure there are many reasons why. But I think one reason has to do with an individual's willingness to be curious, to ponder, to wonder, and consider the possibility that Jesus is the it we've been waiting and looking for. You may know this, but for the past couple of decades, religious faith has been on decline, on the decline in our country, sharply on the decline. 
A 1960s Gallup poll found that 98% of U.S. adults believed in God, whatever that phrase might mean. In 2011, the number was 92%. But a Gallup poll this past summer found that today only 81% of U.S. adults believe in God. Now, I don't pretend to know all the implications of these statistics. They may or may not even be significant, but at a minimum, both statistically and intuitively, it appears that religious faith is on the decline in our country. I said religious faith. Faith is not on decline, on the decline in our country, but religious faith is on the decline. And there's a difference between faith and religious faith. A writer thinker named Shadi Hamid, and you can see this on the screen, wrote an article called America Without God. And here's what he wrote. American faith, it turns out, is as fervent as ever. It's just that what was once religious belief has now been channeled into political belief. Political debates over what America is supposed to mean have taken on the character of theological disputations. This is what religion without religion looks like. I think he's on to something. From my vantage point, faith isn't on the decline, for we are always searching for saviors, for something or someone to trust. So we put our faith in ourselves or in some system or in the president of our country, or in our bank account, or in our busyness. Faith isn't declining. Faith in God is declining. And there are some valid reasons why. For one, the church has often done a terrible job demonstrating what faith in God actually looks like. For two, the church has often encouraged faith in things other than God. But another reason religious faith is on the decline is because of the simple fact that we are distracted and preoccupied with so many other pursuits. Our lives and hearts are a rush hour traffic jam. And God slowly gets run off our road. We just kind of gradually stop thinking about him. We stop seeking him in any meaningful way. He gets scheduled out of our days, we might say. When that ache within us arises, we numb it with more busyness or more pleasure. And over time, God becomes part of the background noise of our overcrowded days and weeks and months, and what's left behind is a remnant of a religious faith that rearranges next to nothing in our lives. And this is one of the reasons why John's purpose in his gospel continues to echo with such relevance, that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. He's putting Jesus center stage. God has come in the flesh and walked our planet, so some kind of thought-through response seems warranted. A curious pause seems appropriate. For this is simply too big of a deal to shrug our shoulders and just move on. Imagine after hearing the good news that our grandchild is coming, I shrugged my shoulders and kept watching the Packers lose. Imagine next summer when the baby arrives, I sort of tip my hat, offer a congratulations, and go back to life as usual. As usual. Imagine this new baby rearranges nothing in me. My time. My thoughts. My priorities, my focus, 
all remain the same as they were pre-baby. That would be rather odd, would it not? My underwhelming response would be out of step with the overwhelming magnitude of what has happened. Now I can hear the objection. Yeah, I get it, but one's child or grandchild is easy to imagine and touch and feel and see, but God in the flesh is not nearly as accessible. Objection sustained. It's a good point. Still, John puts Jesus center stage in front of the whole crowd of history, and he says to you, and he says to me, in 2022, something along these lines. I know the idea is from beyond. And I know it's hard to believe. But maybe it's time to snap out of the trance. Start waking up. Be just a bit curious. Open our eyes. Open our ears. See his glory. And if we can't see his glory, move a little bit closer and squint. Get a better look, because he is the one we've been waiting for and looking for our whole lives. Last theme John highlights is simply captured in the word gift, verses 11 and 12 on the screen. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children of God born of God. It's a rather amazing idea to consider. God offers himself to us and we get to decide whether we're going to receive him or not. And in those who receive him, John says, a second birth occurs as God slowly, gradually rearranges us and begins to cultivate his life and his character and his goodness in us. Lost in the hustle of a commercialized Christmas, lost in the noise of a busy life, is the astounding good news that even in all of its darkness, God so loved the world that he gave Jesus to rescue us from the darkness, to free us from the chains of sin and selfishness, and awaken us to the new life available right now, through the gift of Jesus Christ. A few weeks ago, I was at the Sacramento airport on my way to see my dad in Arizona. After arriving at the airport, I wore my glasses to drive there. And after I got there, I took my glasses off and put them away in my bag. I normally wear contacts, but I knew I would be flying. I didn't want to have contacts on while I was flying. So I wore my glasses, took them off when I got to the airport. I'm nearsighted. So I clearly see the things that are right in front of me, but beyond a few yards and the world becomes blurry unless I have my contacts or my glasses. So I'm at the airport, no glasses, no contacts. The world was blurry, but it didn't matter. I was really relaxed, had plenty of time. I always have TSA pre-check, marvelous invention. I highly recommend it. Hopefully someone gives it to you for Christmas. So I'm there. There's no stress. I had ample time. And before heading to security, I went to the bathroom. As I exited the bathroom, a custodian was walking toward me. 
with their cleaning supply cart, and they were saying something to me, but they were wearing a mask, so I didn't understand. Finally, they pulled the mask down, and with this rather large grin on their face said, you were in the women's bathroom. (laughs) I said, what? The women's bathroom. You were in the women's bathroom. I turned around and I squinted, but I couldn't read the sign. So I had to move a little closer, and sure enough, it said women. I just laughed all the way through security. I would suggest nearsightedness is a common problem in 2022. We see clearly the things right in front of us. What's happening in our lives. The challenges we are facing. The goals I have. The desires I want to pursue. The life I want to have. But beyond a few yards the world becomes blurry. We don't see long distance too well. So God's big picture is often blurry. We don't see the bigger picture of the true light who has come into the world. We don't see the bigger picture of the glory of God in the life of Jesus. We don't see the bigger picture of the gift of new life God offers us in Jesus. And when we don't see the bigger picture, we kind of wander through life trying to find our way and most especially trying to satisfy our deepest longing. And you know something? That deepest longing can be satisfied. Jesus is the one we've been waiting for our whole lives. He's the one we've been looking for our whole lives. And now he's here. And now he's near. And I know the idea is from beyond. Might even sound a tad ridiculous. I know it's hard to believe, but maybe it's time to snap out of the trance. Maybe it's time to roll over and just start the process of waking up. Maybe it's time to Be just a little bit curious. Open your eyes. Open your ears. See his glory. And if you can't see it, move a little bit closer and squint. Get a better look. Because he's the one you've been waiting for and looking for your whole life. Would you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, we celebrate what you have done on this holy night. We worship you as a God who was well aware of the darkness, but who sent the true light into the world. We worship you for giving us this most amazing gift of yourself to walk among us and reveal reality, reveal truth. Reveal the way to live how we were intended to live. We are so very thankful for this sacred evening when we can honor you and celebrate you and worship you for taking action and coming to us. Continue to find a room in our lives. 
Continue to help us wake up to the flickering lights that you put around us and teach us to learn how to believe that you are the one, you are the Messiah, you are the King. And we pray this in your name. Amen.